his children, small. Angie and I found ourselves planning a trip. Uh, back then, vacations were usually spent with family, and the more I did that, the less I viewed those trips as vacations. <laughs> but uh, we found that it was better for us to travel at night with the girls. You know what that's like. Our children have a lot of energy in the daytime. They're wide-eyed and curious and want to be involved in everything and talk about everything. So at night, believe it or not, uh, somewhere along the way, they do tend to fall asleep, just kind of fall into that slumber state. And that was an easier way for us to travel. So that particular trip, I worked uh, most of the day and then got off, went home. The bags were packed through the luggage and the family in the vehicle, and we headed out to, I think, if I remember correctly, seeing my in-laws, who at that time were living in Johnson City, Tennessee. We've been traveling for about uh, three or four hours. Uh, it had been dark for a couple of hours, and uh, everything was running just perfectly, as far as I could see. Uh, the girls were in the back. They were occupied. Uh, Angie was in that slumber state, not in her usual mode of co-pilot. And... Uh, <clears throat> And so I'm just moving up the highway, the interstate, as best I can. And all of a sudden, I remember out of the blue, the vehicle started darting to one side, to one direction. And it was so dramatic, Angie woke up and she looked at me and she said, uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to stay on the road here. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And so I'm checking the gauges in the vehicle. I'm trying to figure out if maybe something is malfunction mechanically, but uh, it was obvious something was going on. The, it was like uh, we, we couldn't go as fast as we would normally go, and the vehicle would veer over to one side, and I'd pull it back in the middle of the lane, and of course I'm thinking that something's gone wrong with the suspension or a tie rod or a wheel's coming off or something, but uh, it wasn't constant. It was hit and miss. It, it would go that way, and then it would stop, and it'd go that way, and then it would stop. So after several minutes of that, probably close to 30, 40 minutes, uh, girls woke up, everybody sort of became alarmed. I was worn out from driving defensively, and we saw a, a, an exit coming up where there was one of these large uh, stops where you can get off, uh, 18-wheelers pull in there, you know, and it was well lit, and the girls needed a nature break, so that was a good time for, for them. So they went about their business. I went up to the counter and was purchasing some gum and snacks and stuff for us to put back on the road. And the, the person behind the register had one of these monitors up, small monitors, and she had the news on there. And it, I could see quickly that it was a weather person giving some weather and uh, a weather alert. And so then I started tuning into the conversation around me. Other people were in there and I was listening to the weather person, and they were talking about straight-line winds. You know anything about straight-line winds? Meteorologists say that it's about as damaging as a hurricane. And obviously, we had come through some straight-line winds, but they were talking about where the weather was going to be and, and what you needed to do to prepare for it and so forth. And so I felt a little more secure getting in the vehicle that we had passed through the worst of it, and sure enough, we had. 
Now I want you to think about that because it parallels exactly what I want to talk about this morning. It was dark. I couldn't see the wind and the the trees bending and so forth. I, I didn't know what was happening around me, but I could feel its effect. And I was struggling to keep the vehicle in the road. Life gets that way sometimes. Things are happening in the unseen world. They seem to be working against us. We don't know exactly what it is, but we feel its effect. And we wonder what in the world is going on here and how am I going to work through this situation. This morning I want to begin a series with you that I've titled simply Spiritual Warfare. Because spiritual warfare takes place on a daily basis. In each of our lives as Christians we face the enemy. And in the unseen world, there are things going on around us that seem to work against us and causes us to give pause to what is happening, to maybe step back and evaluate and observe what's going on around us. And sometimes I think our best description of what we're experiencing is this is a struggle. Have you ever said that? I say it every morning about 8.30. I'm just struggling today. <laughs> I need about my 10th cup of coffee and then I'm fine. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Life is a struggle. And I want you to see it in the scriptures. So I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And according to the schedule that I've put together, we are going to be camped out here for about eight weeks. Can you handle that? Can you survive eight weeks of Ephesians 6? I'm going to do my best to make it all seamless and work together for us. But once we get into it about the third or fourth week, you'll see the natural progression of what I want to talk about. This is a letter that Paul wrote that was circulated among churches in Asia Minor. It's titled the letter to the Ephesians because most of the manuscripts have to the church at Ephesus beginning the letter. But we know that it was a letter that was circulated among the churches and so obviously several churches read it and were attuned to what Paul was saying. And like a lot of Paul's letters in the New Testament, you can divide them right down the middle. There's six chapters in Ephesians. The first three chapters deal with instruction or doctrine, teaching. The last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are about practice and ethics, and how we can live the Christian life that he's taught us to live in the first three chapters. Matter of fact, in the first three chapters, he says, you are one with Christ. And in the last three chapters, he says, because Christ lives in you, this is how life is to be expressed. And so we come to chapter 6, and Paul begins to move into an area <clears throat> that ought to be of interest to us, and I'll make that clearer as we go along. Look at what it says in verse 10. He begins this passage, verse 10, with what I think is a congregation's favorite word. Finally. <laughs> it, I mean, just be honest. It, I mean, you, 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 you hold your breath until the preacher says, finally, every Sunday. And then when you do, you say, 
Yes, and how much longer is it going to be after you say finally? But that, he's getting to the end of the letter. Look at what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our, and here's our word, struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything. Three things I want to mention. Firm. Three things I want to mention this morning. First, I want to talk about God's Strength. You see it here. Be strong in the Lord. He says that in verse 10. And then down in verse 13, he says, So that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The strength of God is what we rely on in order to be able to stand firm. Now, we know that Joshua followed Moses and Joshua was the one that led out into battle in the promised land. God had to prepare Joshua for that, those experiences and in Joshua chapter 1 you read very carefully where God is pouring himself, his spirit into Joshua and he says don't be afraid, be strong, don't be afraid, be strong. Ephesians is the New Testament version of Old Testament Joshua. And it's the idea that God is preparing you and me for what we're going to face in this world. And I assure you that if we attempt to go through any and every experience in life on our own strength, we will not be successful and we will not be victorious. So the idea here is that we understand that if we are going to accomplish anything in the struggles of life, it has to be done outside our own merit, outside our own ability, outside our own strength. Follow me on this. The Christian life is not just an empowered life. The Christian life is also an exchanged life. In other words... We offer what we have to God. He takes it as far as our strength is concerned. But he says in such a way that he says, I'm going to use what you have to offer as far as our strength is concerned. But he says, in order for us to fully accomplish what needs to happen in your life, you've got to let me do it through you. Think about a glove. If you wore a pair of gloves over the winter, maybe you wore a pair today, I don't know, because of the rain and so forth. A glove has no value on its own. I mean, it just, it just lays there. It's limp. It doesn't move on its own. It can't do anything on its own. But you put that glove on your hand. And the glove serves a purpose because of the strength of your hand and your arm. God is like that. Our lives are the glove. And God infills us with his presence and with his power and he enables us to function as we need to function in this world, Native Americans. 
had the belief, some of the tribes did, not all of them, but some of them believed that if they scalped an enemy, they would take the scalp of that enemy and wear that scalp on their belt. And the strength of that individual would somehow be supernaturally transferred to themselves. And the more scalps they wore around their belt, the more strength they had. Well, in a sense, even though that's not true, we understand that we are to live in this world in God's strength. Paul said it this way, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. David had a good understanding of this. Remember David when he went down into the valley to face Goliath? It was called the Valley of Elah. He said that he went down into the valley and he was, he was preaching. Remember, he preached to Saul when Saul tried to give him his armor. You remember, it was too big. David was a young man and he said, I can't wear it. It's going to stifle me. It'll paralyze me. He said, I need to be able to be free. God has delivered me from the hand of the of uh, 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 the bear and the lion and I can face this giant without your armor God will be my defender and as David goes down into the valley he goes down saying to all the soldiers who are listening and all those who are watching the battle is not ours the battle belongs to the Lord today the Lord is going to deliver this giant into our hands and it's going to be by his power and by his might and by his strength. Yesterday, I had the wonderful privilege of entertaining my grandson for a few hours. And we were playing in a, in a room where we've got most of his toys collected. And so he was in there and he had his stuffed animals in a little dump truck. He's pushing it around and so forth. But all of a sudden, he disappeared. He went through the bathroom. We've got a little Jack and Jill bathroom there. And he went through. And, and I said, oh, i got to go see where he is, you know. And I, he'll be hanging from a, a light fixture. And so I walked in. And he found this little plastic uh, wiffle ball set that we bought him. You know what I mean? It's just a stand with a plastic ball on top and a bat. And by the time I got to him, he's dragging all of that back into the room where we were. And so he comes in there. And, of course, he's two years old, so he doesn't know. So what did I do? I put myself around his arms, put that ball on there, and for the next three hours, we would hit the ball off the tee, and he would go get it and bring it and put it back, and we'd do it again and do it again. Now, if I left him alone, which I tried to do, I'm thinking I've shown you 30,000 times. Surely by now you got it, right? He's not coordinated yet. He can't do it. But he would wait on me and he would look like put. And so I'd put my arms around his and we would grip the bat and we would just hit it. Now, I can't wait till the day he brings it in the den and does it on his own. And that ball goes flying across the den. My wife's going to wonder, how did he learn to do that? I have no idea. <laughs> but it was because of me empowering him and giving them the ability to do that. Look, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to downplay your intelligence you get this you understand we're going to struggle in this world and we need to acknowledge that we need to admit that I think that when we say to people come to Christ be saved surrender to him if we leave it at that we may even go on and say it's the best life that can be lived and it is but we dare not say all your troubles are going to disappear 
You're never, never going to have another problem as long as Christ is in your life because you and I, if you've lived any length of time as a Christian, you know that's just not true, right? The moment you become a part of God's family, you become a part of God's army. And anytime you talk about being in the army, there is a sense of battle and there is a sense of struggle. I think we need to say to individuals, you give your life to Christ, you're going to face difficulties. But the, the, the joy that I have this morning and the encouragement that I have is being able to say that you don't face those battles alone. You face it in the strength of God and the power of the almighty being that we know and love that has saved us is the one who gives us the ability to walk through those experiences. Paul begins by talking about the strength of the Lord. Now the next thing that he talks about are Satan's strategies. Look at what it says in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm. My Bible says against the schemes of the devil. The, the, uh, I think it's the King James Version that I love, by the way. I read from the New American Standard and preach from it. But the King James Version says against the wiles of the devil. I'm 55 years old. I keep admitting that and one day I'm going to quit. But I don't know that I've ever heard anybody use the word wiles in a conversation. Ever. Have you, it's, it's an old English word. The word translated wiles in your Bible, schemes in my Bible, is the Greek word methods. We get the word methods from it. And what Paul is saying is that Satan has methods that he uses to work against us. Now, look at what it says down here in verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and, and I'm emphasizing the word against. You might want to highlight it, underline it against the world forces, against the spiritual forces, in the heavenly places. Notice against, against. Satan is attempting to work against us in the spiritual battles that we face. Never for us. We're not going to benefit from them. It's always working against us, against us, against us. And, and all I'm saying is that we need to live our lives with this perspective and with this knowledge and know that that's how it's going to work. Now, here's the thing. Satan tries to impress us. He tries to intimidate us. And he tries to interfere with us in our walk with God. Basically, those are his methods. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, I'm going to talk more in detail about his strategies that he uses against us. But this morning, just, just think with me about it. Think about it this way. We know that Satan is superhuman, but he is not divine. Make that distinction. You see, some of us have the idea that the devil can just overpower us and consume us anytime that he wants. Absolutely not. That's the advantage that we have as being a Christian. A person who's not a Christian does not have the strength of the Lord to rely on, does not have an understanding of how the devil works against them and cannot, cannot respond effectively to what that is might. And we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Have you heard that before? Some of you had. You were here last Sunday and that's the way I ended the service. 
You see, uh, I, uh, I, I was reading the book of Daniel several times as we walked through the first six chapters of Daniel. And every time a king like Nebuchadnezzar would go to the sorcerers and the conjurers and the wizards to say, interpret the dream, interpret the dream. Inter-, you know what he was doing? He was consulting the dark side. He was wanting to know what humans thought about situation. And humans on their own ability, especially those who do not know God, will immediately consult forces in this world that they think can answer the questions, but they're always consulting the wrong forces. It's satanic. And it's demonic. And that's exactly what was happening in the book of Daniel. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Three boys were thrown into a fiery furnace. Anytime Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, those were not just physical, tangible battles that they faced. They were spiritual battles. Our spiritual battles come at us in the same way. And anytime we get in a situation where we say, you know, this isn't in my favor. I don't know exactly what's going on here. We need to stop and ask ourselves, is Satan trying to impress me? Is he trying to intimidate me? Or is he simply trying to interfere with my walk with God? Uh, You see, the Bible says that Satan can come to us like a princess of light. And we can be drawn to it. And, and he, he can say to us things like, you know, the, the, this would be really good for you. You will benefit from this if you be a part of it, if you participate in it. But that's him time trying to draw us in. And our problem is we don't always see the devil for who he is. I love the story. Some of you may have heard me tell this. I don't know, but it's told for the truth, by the way. Everything I tell you is true, but I think this really happened. Uh, <laughs> that sink in a little bit it took place in North Carolina there's a university there known as the Duke Blue Devils you know what I'm talking about the Duke Blue Devils and years ago there was an athlete who went to Duke University and he was being uh, initiated into the program and as the story goes they dressed him up in a blue devil suit I mean there are probably are plenty of those around somewhere around Duke University and so they found one they put him in it you know mask you know but he's blue blue probably multicolored blue outfit uniform whatever they blindfolded him and they drove him up out into the wooded area and they dropped him off and they said now you've got to make it back to Duke University by such and such a time And said, the only thing you can't do is you cannot take off that costume that we put you in. You've got to find your way. You've got to get back. And they put him on a clock. They said, by this time, you've got to get back. So the student began to try to figure out after they drove off and left him. He's there in the pitch dark. He's wandering around. He he can see a, a road there. So he starts walking down the road. And he stumbles upon a country church that was having their annual revival meeting that night. And he opens the door and he comes in a little church and the preacher's so shaken by it, he runs off and everybody turns around. They begin to run, run, run. And one lady was just sort of stifled there. She was paralyzed by what she was seeing and she couldn't get away. And, and he's trying to stop people and tell them, whoa, 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 whoa don't go here. And so finally it's just him and her. And he's having a conversation with her and he says, ma'am, all I want to know is 
And she's not hearing a single word that he says. And he, he said, she said, isn't that great? That's junior high stuff right there. He said, she said, sir, I've been a member of this church for 40 years, but you know I've been on your side the whole time. <laughs> we don't always see him for who he is, the devil, that is. The Bible says that he is not just a princess of light, but he is our adversary. He is our enemy. He is referred to in Scripture as Beelzebub. Do you know who Beelzebub is? Now that's an ancient name for a god, little g, that referred to the Lord of the Flies. Satan is the Lord of the Garbage Dump. His strategies are proven. So many times he has fooled us into giving in to what he offers us, but every single method that he employs... It's to impress us, it is to intimidate us, it is to interfere with our walk with God. And we need to see what he's doing as those kinds of methods. So we've talked about God's strength, we've talked about Satan's strategies. Now I want to show you our stance, the Christian's stance. And I love this because it's repeated in our scripture this morning. Look at what it says. It says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the methods of the devil. And then down in verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. When's the evil day, by the way? It's today, it's tomorrow, it's the day after, it's every day. And having done everything to stand firm. And in verse 14, he says it again, stand firm. Therefore, and then he goes into a very detailed explanation of what we're to do in putting on the armor of God. Three times. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Now, I love this. What's our stance? It's standing. When you struggle sometimes, you don't feel like you're standing, do you? But I want you to know you're standing. Standing is the stance of victory. Sometimes athletes in a contest will talk about the last man standing. In a boxing match, it's the last man standing sometimes who says, is the victor. Paul was an athlete. He was a fan of athletics anyway. I think Paul had this envision of us boxing against Satan. And I want you to know that sometimes we get beaten down by our spiritual battles that we face. And we, we, sometimes we're on our knees. Sometimes we're just muddling through. And sometimes we don't feel like we're standing. But I want to assure you that we are. Why? Because the victory is already ours. It's already been won. Sometimes we don't, we don't think about that. And we don't embrace that idea. But we need to see through the circumstances to realize that in the goodness and the grace of God, He's already brought us through as victors, as winners. And we're standing. I love the story of the little boy who was put in time out by his mom. And she told him, because of your behavior, you just go sit in the corner for a little while. You can't, you can't turn around and look in here. You can't talk to your sister. You can't do, just look at the corner. Look at the corner. So she left him there for several minutes. And finally, she called him over and said, okay, your timeout is over. Have you learned your lesson? Yes, ma'am. What do you have to say? Mom, I might have been sitting down on the outside, but I was standing up on the inside. 
as Christians, we're standing. We're standing as victorious. We go through life standing. You say, Bill, that is the most foreign thing to me in this world. Let me tell you something. You're viewing your battle from an earthly perspective if you don't see yourself that way. If you say, well, I've given in to Satan. I, I, as a Christian, I, I've, 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 I've given in to that temptation and I've participated in what he's offered me and I, I know that I've sinned against God. As God forgives you through Christ, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness in that cleansing, in that bringing us back to a right relationship with him, we are standing, stand firm in that stance. I love John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. Toward the end of the book, the primary character named Christian, by the way, who represents every single one of us, is in a battle against Apollyon. Apollyon represents Satan. And in that battle, you'll remember that Christian is beaten down and beaten down, and he's defending himself from every angle, everything that he can do. And Satan, Apollyon, reaches for his sword, and just as he is about to raise it up and, and give to Christian that fatal blow, Christian speaks and utters the words and says, You may kill me, but I will rise. And with that, Apollyon lowers his sword spreads his wings, and flies away because he knows that he may kill us, but he will not take us. Through Christ our Lord, we are more than conquerors through Christ our Lord who loves us and saves us. Final illustration that you've probably heard me tell before. Shirley Thigpen was a neighbor of ours in Picayune where we lived for seven years. One of her grandsons is a doctor in the Jackson area. And at the time I had a conversation with him, he was a young guy, and he used to participate in Civil War enactments. And so I was intrigued by it, and I said, tell me about these Civil War enactments. And boy, he, he just ate it up. He went into detail talking about all the uniforms that they would wear and how they would make sure that they were as accurate as they could be and vintage. And he, he would talk about the, the weaponry that they would use and how they would stage the mock battles and all the things. And at the time I was talking to him, it, he had just participated in one the Saturday before. And this is what he said. Bill, for the first time, I had a perspective that I've never had before. What the Bible teaches us about the resurrection. And he said at the end of the battle last Saturday, there were crowds that had gathered around that were watching, observing. I didn't think about participants, I mean uh, observers being there, but there was an audience there. And he said it was a rather large audience. And he said the, the muskets that we were firing and the cannons that we were using had a lot of black powder. And he said the battlefield was just had this, this gray smoke that was about four or five feet high and it was just lingering there. And and he said the battle had ended and you, know, you, you could see through the, the smoke of, of some of the folks who were laying down out there because in the battle they'd been killed and so they were pretending that they had died in the battle. And he said all of a sudden people began to clap and they began to applaud because they realized that it was over and they enjoyed observing and watching that battle reenactment. He said and then all of a sudden a commanding officer who was designated to do it began to walk through the battlefield. And he said that smoke just trailed after him as he would walk through. And he would speak to this side and he would say, Resurrect! 
resurrect, resurrect. He said as far as his voice would carry, you would see these soldiers beginning to get up, rising up out of the smoke there in the field. And he said, for the first time in my life, I begin to realize that on the day that Jesus returns, that's what it's going to be like for us. So many Christians through the years may have fallen but ladies and gentlemen, one day, somehow, some way, supernaturally, spiritually speaking, through Christ our Lord, in His strength and by His power, He will resurrect us from this world and we will stand victorious. If you believe that, stand up. Father, we stand victorious this morning. And I pray that our standing is more than just symbolic, but Lord, it is the true feelings of our lives and our heart. We do face the enemy on a daily basis. Trials come our way. They drag us down. So often we lose our perspective, and as a result, we lose our strength. Pray that you would remind us this morning that we are secure in our relationship with you if we know Christ is our Savior and our Lord. Father, would you remind us this morning of just how much you love us and all the resources that you make available to us and let us live in that strength this week. Father, if there's any person here this morning who has yet to publicly acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior, would you give them the freedom to come and say, yes, I want to know of that peace and that security that you've talked about and find that empowered and exchange. Lord, may they surrender their life to you and find that empowered and exchanged life is theirs. Through repentance and faith, let them come to Christ. For Christians, Father... They're Christians here looking for a church home because your spirit would lead them. Let them come and unite with our church family and use what gifts and abilities they have so that your church may be strengthened for all of us who go by the name of Christian. Father, may we be encouraged today. May we be comforted. Maybe we be strengthened from knowing that our relationship with you is all that we need. Through Jesus we pray.